wrapping up our series. It's probably exciting. We've been hearing about authority and money, authority and money, and and those are just two concepts that people just don't want to hear about in this day and age, And but it's important. These are crucial things. And so this is a strange way to start a sermon, very odd way to start a sermon. I know it's a little steep to part with, but did anyone here have $100 I could have? Someone, someone $100 that you could give me. Just come on up and give it. Oh, Brother Kevin, you coming up? I saw a couple hands go up. I should have asked for more. I could have got. I just need 100. I'm good. Thank you. He, he, uh, all right. Thank you. Man, this is a giving church. He's having a hard time. It's a giving church. Look at that. Thank you, Brother Kevin. Two weeks ago, we launched a brand new series entitled The Blessed Life. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, go to refugechurchonline.com, click on the media tab, and you can have all kinds of viewing and listening options. What an amazing church. I mean, I had like five people wanting to give me $100. Joe had a problem. Joe had a problem. So he took it to his pastor. Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm having trouble tithing these days. Pastor said, well, what seems to be the hang-up? Joe said, back when I made $50 a week, man, I tithe five bucks. That was easy. Then I made 500 a week, and I tithed 50 bucks, and that was all right. But now I'm making 5000 a week. And I'm having a hard time. A $500 tithe, that's a lot of money each week. Would you please pray for me, Pastor? Sure, the pastor said, let's pray. Father, Joe's income, please help him. Reduce it back down to $500 per week so that he does not have a difficult time honoring you with the tithe. Funny but true story. Well, we've all thought a time or two. You get the donation statement at the end of the year. Don't act like you're religious and you've never thought this. You get the donation statement at the end of the year. You look at what you've given to your church and you say, I could have done a lot with that amount of money. When there's a special offering for a missionary, right, or, or, or even ties, which we learned are already the Lord's, why do we struggle at times giving away something that actually already belongs to God? It's because we somehow bought into the lie that we are actually our own providers and we own what we have. Now, I know some of you, are, you haven't heard the word I've said in the last 60 seconds because your mind is still stuck up on the fact that someone gave me $100 in this congregation and it's in my pocket. I'm glad that there's no guests that have walked out. They would have walked out and been like, that is a crazy church. Literally, the pastor asked for your money and puts it in his pocket. I've never done that, but can I tell you why Kevin was so quick to jump up and run that $100 up here? Leslie might have been back there going. It's because before service, I gave him that $100 bill and asked it for him at the beginning of my message. It's my $100 bill. <laughs> it's mine in the first place. He experienced no grief, no emotional conflict about giving that money. Some of you that raised your hand, you were ready to give it, but you might have given it and been like, oh, Lord, that touched my faith. Kevin didn't experience any of that. Why? Because he knew... It was not his. I gave him something to hold on for me, and he gave it back when I asked for it. Whenever I see a Christian operating selfishly, I know I'm looking at a person that either A, has not been taught and does not know, or B, has forgotten somehow that he or she is just a steward of what is God's. When it comes to salvation and repentance, we get it. Oh, yeah, conviction, repent, change your mind. We repent, we change our thoughts, actions, and behaviors. But then 
Why can't that happen in other areas of our life? If you're not a generous person, why can, if we believe people can repent and get baptized and their life can change, why, if we are not generous people, can we not change? It changes with thinking, though. That's why Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Let God transform you into a new, new person. That's not just salvation. Transform us into a new person by changing the way we think. Then you will learn what is the perfect and good and acceptable will of God for you. God, God calls his people to be givers. But why did God create giving? Why? Why did God create giving? If you weren't here, there's hundreds and hundreds of scriptures about giving. God, he's passionate about it. I mean, why did he create it? Anybody have a guess? I mean, do you really think, you know, I, I've, I've asked people this question. You know what I've heard before? Well, to support his work, to support the work of the Lord. Do you really think that God doesn't have the resources to support his own work? I mean, does God really, he, he, he told us he's building these streets of gold. Does he need our resources so he can buy more gold in heaven? Like, is the electric bill due in heaven and the Lord needs money? That's ridiculous. So why did God create giving? He created it for your sake and for mine. Look at the words of the Apostle Paul in Acts 20, 35. He says, I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. And he quotes Jesus and says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Giving does two important things in our lives. Number one, it makes room for blessing and not just financial. Number two, it cuts out selfishness and materialism. Please raise your hand if you are ever selfish or materialistic. You dirty dog, every one of you should have your hand raised in the air. There is no human being with warm blood in your body that does not have moments of selfishness and materialism. It is every one of us. But we have to, just like fasting denies flesh, the greatest cure to selfishness and materialism is being a giver. It's a biblical concept. I'll share a story with you by Robert Morris in The Blessed Life. He said, there was once a young boy in Costa Rica who attended a Bible school there. At that particular Bible school, they had what they called Bless Another Day Each Friday. This was a time where students were encouraged to, to give to others at the school. There was a student there who had no money and worked the fields of a peanut farmer in order to pay his tuition. He ended up going to the farmer and he said, Sir, I'm wondering if you would withhold from my wages weekly the price of one peanut because our school has a bless another day and I want to give a peanut away. Now, integrity is a beautiful thing because working the peanut fields, how easy would it have been to just put one in his pocket? But integrity, he says, no, sir, can you withhold my wages? And the farmer said, well, yeah. So every Friday, the student would bring one peanut to school and he would give it away to someone in the school. Not surprisingly, God began to bless this young man who had an unselfish heart. Before long, he was not giving peanuts on Bless Another Day. He was giving money. By the end of the school semester, he was also buying pencils and other school supplies for the poorest of students. By the end of that year, God blessed him so much that he was able to pay a year's tuition for a poor student. And by the time he graduated, he was paying the tuition of 10 other students besides himself. 
Within a few years of graduating from Bible school, he bought the entire peanut farm where he used to work, and he's covering the cost of tuition for scores and scores of students who would have otherwise not been able to afford to go to school. It started with take my wages for one peanut. I, I want to address that because there are many Christians, maybe even here yet today, that say, I would love to, but I'm too poor to give. I don't have enough resources. I can barely make my own bills. <laughs> Talk to me about giving to someone else. I can't even pay my own stuff. If I had more money, I would be a giver. To which I respond with all kindness and compassion. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. That's why God says in his word, if I cannot trust you with little things, how can I give you more? If God cannot trust us with a peanut, we will not be writing $50,000 checks anytime soon. And honestly, givers sometimes make tough lifestyle changes in order to be able to give. But these choices are not just a sacrifice so that others can have we are the ones blessed to be able to give. So we come to understand that everything comes from God. We're blessed to give, not just giving because we're blessed. I'm going to repeat that because that's a deep statement. We're blessed to give. We are not just giving because we're blessed. Some of you don't like Dave Ramsey. I just lost part of my audience. But he always says, live like no one else. So later, you can give like no one else. You might say, oh, I don't care about sacrificing so I can give to others. If you have said that in your mind, you truly don't understand giving. God created us to give. God gave everything, and we, we were created in his image. When we give, it fulfills a part of us that no amount of getting can achieve. Why do you think those who have the most are often the most miserable? It's because they're aiming to fulfill something deep inside that can only be fulfilled by giving. Now, I just, now just because I've literally had to say, had, had people say to my face, easy for you to say. You don't struggle like I do. <laughs> Look at the way you live your life, man. You, don't, you ain't nothing like me. Because of that, I thought in this last week of this series, I have never stood in this spot. I try, I'll, I'll drop a line occasionally about myself. I preached a message and I shared about Titus and the journey that we went through in his diabetes. But other than that, I don't like, like to just stand here and talk about our lives because the Bible is so much more powerful than anything I can tell you. But yet sometimes through a personal story, something can come, come alive. And so I, I, in this last week, I just want to open up and share a little bit of, about mine, our journey, and not for anything other than to try to help someone. My wife and I got married at 2006. I was 26, and she was 22. And so we started instantly. We, we, you know, we were excited to get married and excited to make dumb financial decisions. So we jumped in and just went full speed ahead. We needed furniture for our new apartment. Thrift store was below us, so we had to go to the new stuff. So we bought all new furniture for our apartment. Thank God it was one bedroom apartment. <laughs> so right off the bat, we barely said, I don't even think, I think we were already in debt before we said I do. We were young marrieds with small incomes and big dreams. But we still wanted to do fun things. So we ate out more than we could afford and we went to fun events that we didn't have money for. 
Of course, the credit card had to be used for this. And I want you to know, within like two years of being married, I was a proud member of the Visa Platinum Club. They don't hand these out just to anybody. You have to be kind of stupid sometimes to get one of these. I was a proud member of the Visa Platinum Club. And we felt good. We bought a house too early because they said home ownership makes more sense than renting. And so we jumped into a house. Well, that house was bigger than the one-bedroom apartment. So we needed more furniture. We started looking at houses, and we were so foolish that we were choosing houses based on the expensive bedroom set that we had already bought. So we actually passed on some houses because our bedroom set wouldn't fit in the bedroom. We're smart. Sometimes only experience is a teacher. That's, that's it. So then we said, well, man, we got our own house. We both got jobs. We're part of the Visa Platinum Club. It's time for a brand new car. And they had a deal. It was 0% financing. So I wasn't wasting money on the fees. I'm just going to get the car. I'm a smart guy at 0%. Um, but you do know that you're going in debt 30 some thousand dollars to get that new car. Yes, but it's 0% financing. Hmm. Before we knew it, we were having a baby. I'm still paying for that decision. <laughs> I'll be paying for that one for the next 10. Eh, I, I don't think it ever stops. Before we knew we were having a baby and we were looking at more than $100,000 of debt. What? Oh, yeah. Let me clarify that. Thank you. That's not kind of, That's the Visa Platinum Club and stuff and the cars. That's not our home. 100000 in debt plus $150,000 home. We were, we were smart. The car was 0%, though. Did I mention that? Can I say it's very hard to be an extravagant giver when you live in extreme debt and every dollar is consumed before you get it? Your intentions can be there. You can hear messages and say, amen, oh, I wish we could do that. You could go home. You, we've probably all had that conversation. I wish we could do more, honey. Man, I wish we could, oh. And what are we saying? We're saying, I believe the principle, but I'm not willing to make any changes in my life. And God started to speak to me about that. We were faithful in tithes and offerings. God always provided. We lost a job. Both of us worked for the same company, had just bought that house, had just had Kiera. And my boss called and said, on Monday, we got done preaching a weekend somewhere, and they said, I sold the company. I said, as of when? He said, Wednesday. I said, me and my wife and our new baby and our new house and our 0% interest car have no job in 36 hours? Yep, that's it. Okay. But I'm not my provider, so we kept paying tithes. I called my mortgage, and I said, just so you know, thank you for giving us a mortgage. But I'm not going to be able to pay it for a little bit. They said, oh, no worries. You have job loss protection clause on your mortgage. I said, excuse me, what's that? You lose your job, we pay your mortgage for eight months. Okay. That sounds wonderful. Let's, where do I sign up for that? And God started providing I got an unemployment check, and we paid tithes on our unemployment check. Because I was raised, you're not your own provider. I'd go to church. I can't tell you how many times. I, can, I literally cannot count how many times people walked up and handed us $500 and said, God, I was just praying, and God told me to give this to you. It has happened so many times in my life, I cannot count it. 
There is no logical explanation for it. God just worked it out. But we were faithful. We always had enough because God provided. But we didn't have enough for everything I, we wanted. Our behavior was leading toward a lifelong of debt. We were going to be in debt for the rest of our lives. You know, you have those people close to you that says debt-free. It's not common sense. It's not a part of life. You're always going to have debt. You're always going to have some pan on a car or a house. And there's people that they're closest to us that will tell you that. That's baloney. And the future was going to be just making ends meet each month. That's where most people live, and we were going to join the club. We were going to be a part of that club and the Visa Platinum Club. One day, our good, my good mother-in-law, Jackie's mom, gave us a book called The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. Jackie read it, loved it. She kept telling me to read it. The only reason I read it is because she drove me nuts and it caused a fight in our home. <laughs> I'm a very transparent preacher. It was kind of not like, oh, that's interesting. I would love to read that book. It was more like, if I read the stinking book, will you just stop telling me about it? I read it, and it was like, uh, so we're doing a few things wrong. We knew it was the truth and realized, and it's based on biblical principles, too. We realized the truth and, and, and realized we had to make drastic changes. That's what truth will do. When truth comes into your heart, it requires you to make drastic changes. We believe that part spiritually. Amen. But financially, well, there's different ways to skin an apple. Which so much that this book was so powerful that I have two extra copies here today. Man, this guy ought to pay me something for pushing his stuff. If you're here, if you are here and you have never read this book and you would be willing to read the book and are willing to actually be open to the principles, come up and get a free copy right now. Okay, we got Lisa and Brenda right here. It changed our lives because the, the principles were always true, but sometimes this is just really thick and hard right here. Needed some help. So we made it a budget for the first time in our new marriage. You know what budget always meant to me? Don't raise your hand, but if anybody's ever been in prison, that's kind of what I imagined a budget to be like. Like gates and bars and like you're told where to go and when to eat and when to go do things. Like that's what it kind of imagined in my mind. That's what I thought of. We just didn't make enough money to get any traction with our income and that amount of debt. I mean, we were proud members of the Platinum Club. With that income and that amount of debt, it would have taken us 20 years to get out of debt. That's why people quit. They, they stop the budget because you know what? This is terrible. I'm not going to do this anymore. So, Dave Ramsey talks about being gazelle, gazelle intense. You'll see that in the book. So what did we do? We realized we've got to make drastic changes that are not fun. And I'm going to tell you about them because some of you aren't even going to try this because this, this part sounds so bad. But I'm being real. We would go to the grocery store. Do you know we started, me, my wife, and our newborn, Kiera, our grocery budget for one month, including toiletries, was $100. I just want to stop and thank God it's not that anymore. There's a reason why I was so skinny back in the day. Now I'm putting on weight and taking my suits out and stuff. 
You know what we'd do? We'd be at Walmart. For the first time in my life, my wife's taking me to Aldi. I was just, uh, I ain't going to Aldi. Aldi's got some good stuff at good prices. We'd walk to Walmart, and I just used to, man, my parents, you know, they made more money than me and my wife were making. So I was just like, oh, Hostess Donuts, Pop-Tarts, cereal, give me some soda, too. Now, all of a sudden, it's going, where are we at? We brought a calculator to the grocery store. And for a few years there, you know what we do? We're at 111. We only have $100, so we have to go and put stuff back on the shelf to stand above it. Like 11 bucks isn't a big deal. It is when you're, when you're intense about doing this. We kept going and realizing it still is going to take 18 years, not 20. So that 0% interest card. We were like, where are we at? Are we close? Guess what? When you buy a brand new vehicle, the minute that you actually pull off the lot and the salesman takes a picture with you, the minute you pull off the lot, you just lost 20% of your value by driving off the lot. If you can afford to do it, great. I'm not knocking new cars. For us, we weren't ready. So when you look up Kelly Blue Book and your hands get sweaty and you get nervous and then you see what you owe versus what they say your car is worth, you say, that's not, that's not good. That's not good. So I was going to put an ad out there and just basically say, could anybody give me more than my car is worth? But I didn't think it would work. So we made a crucial decision that had we not made this decision, I don't think that we would have ever gotten financial freedom. Do you know how painful it was when I finally found a buyer to to meet them at a bank and bring $6,000 of my own money to pay off the loan in addition to what they were giving me for my car? Six. To me, that you, she might as well have said 900000 Now, that's not the one. Wrong picture. Take that one down. $6,000. We sold that car. I wear, that, that, that was definitely not the car. $6,000 to get out of that. But I knew, I, we were like, Jack, we said, at some point, we have to, we have to make a change. It, it has to be a total life change. And that's what we did. So we bought a 98 Ford Explorer and I was gave the guy the money and I was driving it home from the purchase and my transmission started to slip. Within three days my transmission was on, the fluid was on the road and it was getting towed and I was putting a used rebuilt transmission in my Ford Explorer. Not knocking Fords. Uh, that was the best story of the sermon for Noah. I mean, like, literally. He literally enjoyed that sermon. That story better than anything else I've told. So, drops the transmission on the ground. We were disheartened. At that point, I was like, forget this. I am going to buy me a tooth. At that point, it would have been like a 2009. I, I was like, I'm going to buy a 2008 brand new Mercedes and forget this whole plan. Okay. I, I was ready to be done. I was so frustrated. And when you go through this process, you will go through that times like that. So that's a long story, but we stopped going out to eat very much when all our young friends were going out every week after church. We had a set amount of cash for eating out. When it was gone, we had to do something really novel, crazy, insane. Nobody likes to do it. You had to tell yourself no. Does anybody like to tell themselves no? I don't. We had to do it regularly. But the key thing to remember through the process is that you're saying no now so you can say yes for the rest of your life. I started delivering pizzas for Domino's in the snowy Wisconsin winters. At that point, I was still trying to keep my 0% interest car 
and it would get stuck in snow. It wasn't a four-wheel drive. So what I'd do is drive over to my mother and father-in-law's house, and they would let me use their Jeep Grand Cherokee so I could throw it in four-wheel drive and drive through the snow and run up to people's houses with snow that's up to here and deliver pizzas in the snow and, and, and get two bucks here and four bucks here. And just I was just worked a second job clawing my way. This was great when I was a youth leader, and I got called by kids in my youth group to deliver them a pizza. The pride is like, they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, uh, delivering pizzas. What are you guys doing? They left me a $10 tip. That was nice of them. My father-in-law started telling my wife that she was so tight that she squeaked when she walked, and we just tried to take it as a compliment. <laughs> we continued giving tithes, offerings, even gave to a special campaign at our church for a church addition for a coffee shop at that home church in Wisconsin. We got here, and we purchased an old turquoise Ford Torres that smelled like gas. We would drive that car. And an old church van around. Those were the two cars that we drove around town. I'd show up to work out at the community center with an old, broke-down, bent bumper, Liberty, United Pentecostal Church van. It felt like giving up a lot. My mother-in-law begged us to sell this car because it smelled like gas every time we drove it. She thought it was going to blow up. In the midst of this, we had our second child, bought two different low-cost vehicles with cash, and Jackie cleaned house after house after house to add to our income. She was still trying to refinish furniture. We did everything we could to, to gather up every dollar we could. It took us five years of that life of clawing, putting groceries back, trying to drive these cars, scraping, scraping and struggling. And we, after five years, were completely, 100% debt-free. And now, our lives are totally different. They're a lot more fun now. I can actually just throw in the Hostess cupcakes at, you know, at the grocery store, and I don't care how much they are because I have a grocery budget, and if need to, we got a couple extra dollars. I can buy them. Imagine what kind of givers we all could be if we were debt-free. Think about how you could prepare for special offerings throughout the year if you budgeted for them rather than looking in the wallet and seeing what's in there when the, when the offering rolled around. We, we started planning to try to be extravagant givers. But in order to do that, there has to be a budget. There has to be a plan. People that see our houses or our cars or whatever, you know, like I said, I feel like we're blessed. We live in a nice house, drive nice vehicles, but, but people will make comments to me, and I'm like, it's hard because I'm going, you were not there when I was putting groceries back in Walmart with a calculator. You were not there when my transmission fell out of my $2,800 Ford Explorer, and I was standing on the side of the road virtually in tears going, did I make the wrong decision? You see, often we expect God to just miraculously provide. We make a pledge and we say, I stepped out in faith. Now I'm just waiting for God to do his part. That might require a little sacrifice. God's a provider, but he's also a planner. And we see that in scripture. We've seen that on Wednesday night with our tabernacle message. So the stuff I'm talking about in this series is not just about stepping out in faith and trusting God to provide. If you want to be a giver, it is going to take a plan that might call for drastic changes in your life. But just imagine what types of things you could enjoy without paying interest to the car, interest to the Platinum Club, interest to the Sky Miles Club, interest to, you know, doing all these different things. But it changes the rest of your life. We were all created to give, and there's no one, no greater joy than 
when we have open hands to God and others. It satisfies more than anything we could ever get. If you took anything that I just said in sharing our story about glorifying self or patting myself on the back or trying to exalt myself, you have missed my spirit, and I apologize to you. See me afterward. It is not about trying to glorify or exalt myself. I just want to be transparent about the journey. And the reason I'm doing this series and we have done this series is not for the church. We are in a more stable financial position than we have ever been in the 11 years I've been here. It's for you. And I know some won't like this series, maybe not a fan of the content, possibly not liking us taking a few weeks on it. But here's what I have found in a decade of pastoring, among other things. <laughs> I learned a lot about myself, too. It's not just all, oh, the church. Now, sometimes I look and I'm like, that's kind of ugly and it's in me. Only people who get offended when I preach on giving are the ones who don't give. Givers don't get offended when you preach on giving. The people with revelation of giving, they'll never be offended like that. They'll just want to give more because they understand the blessing. But I'm willing to take that chance because I desperately want every family in this church to be blessed. For God to rebuke the devourer. I want to see you fulfill your pledge. If you're here and you've, you haven't made a pledge to the campaign, I want to see you make one. Why? Because when we get into a new building, God's doing great things, you're going to be able to say, hey, that foundation, I help lay that. That window, I help put that in. That piece of carpet, I help put the, lay that down there. This is my church. Please know, I don't mean to sound harsh here, but I'll continue to tell you the truth. God is not going to expand, is not going to give you responsibility and expand your ministry and influence if you cannot handle your finances. It goes against the principles of his word. I find it interesting, too, that God did not allow me to step into the ministry that I felt he called me into until we started this process. Had the calling at 17, but it was not until we started down this road that he started to open up doors. I know it's cliche, but many of you know we can never outgive God. Mark 10, 20, it says, Peter began to say unto them, Lo, we've left it all to follow you. Sometimes we feel like that. Man, I give up everything. I have finances, time, ministry. Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, you know, man that had left house, brethren, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, lands for my sake and the gospels, he shall receive a hundredfold. Now is this time, houses and brethren and sisters and, and mothers and children, lands, he says, and in the world to come eternal life. Notice that when he says, y'all are interested about the amount that you've given, the sacrificial giving that you've given. But he says the blessed life is not just for one or the other. Notice what he says here when he says you will receive a hundredfold blessings both in this life and in the life to come. So people that want to say, well, just, this is not about here. It's, it's all the blessings up there. Abraham was like the richest guy of his day. Don't tell me that God can't bless us here on this earth and we can't have nice things. But don't also say I'm preaching a prosperity doctrine and say, if you give, you're going to drive this. If you give, you're going to wear this. If you give, you're going to live here. That's not it either. We land somewhere in the middle. Hey, you know what? I give because it's his. I worship him. I want to be an extravagant giver. And I believe he has the authority and power to bless me here. But I'm certainly looking forward to those blessings up there. And I have to hurry along. God's plan for our lives is both eternal and on this earth. Look what God says to Abraham. Genesis 12, 2, he says, I will make thee a great nation. I will bless thee, make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I want you to see part of the reason God wants to bless you is so you can bless someone else. That is a biblical principle. That is part of the reason he wants to bless you so you can turn and bless someone else. Take a moment and think about heaven with me. The Bible says that the streets are paved with gold. Gold, gold is asphalt in heaven. 
think about that. Oh, I got my hundred. My monkey owes me a hundred bucks. And then I got my hundred bucks. Ain't nobody getting this hundred bucks. I've worked hard for this hundred bucks. This hundred bucks could get me a lot. It actually doesn't. Family of five at like one nice meal at a restaurant and it's gone. So you hold tight to that hundred bucks. I ain't losing this hundred bucks. But do you realize that when you release that hundred bucks, that also is what allows God to do the principle, oh. I don't want to live my life close-handed. What size gift would impress God? Would a billion, would a billion dollars impress God? We have any billionaires here today? I just want to say, welcome to Refuge Church. <laughs> welcome. It's great to have you today. But if you walked up and said, I got a billion right here, just go get your building. Does that impress God? Does a hundred billion impress God? No amount of money will ever impress God. That's because it was never about the amount of money. It was about our faithfulness, our hearts, our willingness to take him at his word, to be extravagant givers. Why? Because I start to bring this to a close. Biblically, there is evidence that there are three different levels of giving. Number one, tithes. That's already the Lord's. Number two, offerings. Number three, extravagant offerings. Biblically, I have proof for these three levels of giving. Tithes, that's already the Lord's. Offerings are generosity of our heart. And, and extravagant offerings. Unfortunately, most Christians never get past the first rung. Do you know that only about 5% of Christians actually tithe in American churches? 5%. <laughs> it's much higher. Much higher in the United Pentecostal Church. It's much higher here at Refuge Church. Thank God for that. But look at some of the blessings we read about in the Bible of people who are extravagant givers. King David gave an extravagant offering to the Lord when, to pave the way for the building of his te uh, the, the temple by his son Solomon. Do you know how much David's money that he put in the building of the temple? Converted to today's currency, David put $21 billion into the building of the temple. That's extravagant. Even for a king, that's extravagant. Man after God's own heart, though. His son Solomon just became king, according to tradition. He was supposed to go and give an offering to the Lord. Typically, you would sacrifice a bull and, or an ox and something. So guess what Solomon does? He sacrificed 1,000 bulls. Ten might have been extravagant, but he goes with a thousand bulls. That's, that's a bunch of bulls. That is. That's a bunch of bulls. And look what transpires immediately after the extravagant giving. For all the people that were sleeping. <laughs> Second Chronicles. Youth group's making memes of me last week. I just gave them a good one right there. <laughs> Woo. Second Chronicles 1, 6, and 7 says, There in the front of the tabernacle, Sal Solomon went up to the bronze altar. He laid a thousand burnt. Can you even imagine? Did God honor it? What's the very next verse say? That night. God appeared to Solomon and said, what do you want? What do you want? I'll give it to you. He was moved by the sacrifice. A thousand offerings, a thousand bulls. He was moved. Read one more story. 
but an extravagant giver. It wasn't 21 billion. It wasn't 1,000 bulls. It was actually pretty minute when it comes to monetary value. Luke 21, 1, while Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. That's not true according to monetary value. They gave a tiny part of their surplus. But poor as she is, she gave everything she had. It was never about the amount. It was never about the amount. I wish I could read the end of her story, because what do you think happened for this woman after she moved Jesus with extravagant giving? Pay tithes? Come on, that's already the Lord's. That doesn't take that. Come on. Offering? That's the next level. Oh, I'm not just giving tithes. That already belongs to him. I want to give of my abundance, my first fruit. I want to bring something else. But I don't want to stop there anymore. I want to start having a missionary come in and they say, I'm discouraged. I still have three more months of furlough and I'm looking at another $80,000 before I can go back to where God's called me in another country. And I can say 80,000, huh? Church, we need to send these people back tonight. $80,000 and we just join together and send them back. I want to start to hear about someone in need that's struggling and I can say, you know what? We're all right. God has blessed us and hand someone the keys to my car and say, just take it. That's the kind of vision I have. I want, I want to live that life. I say, oh, boy, that's pretty crazy. No, it's not. Why? Why? The greatest story in humankind happened 2,000 years ago when God was the greatest giver that we have ever seen. He gave himself. That's more than a car, a thousand bulls, or 21 billion, or two mites. He gave himself. He wants to bless us so we can be a blessing. But that takes trust, action. Maybe even a complete overhaul of the way we plan and handle our resources. And so as I close today, why don't you stand to your feet? If you're here and you say, man, they need money. <laughs> no, we don't. No, we don't. Yeah, we're looking to build a building. But you know what? You can say, well, yes, then you need money. You need to buy land. You need to build a building. Listen, I, I am not stressed about that. The day that I start stressing about how God is going to provide to build himself a building, he's doing a really good job. But he chooses to move on the hearts of his people. Old Testament tabernacle, Old Testament temple. It was always the people that brought the offerings that built his house. And that's why we're doing it that way. But if you are here and you think, man, that was serious. It was all about money. Go back and listen to every message again. Because you missed it. It was never all about money. Even my story, it was never about the money. It was about the fact that God prepared me and my wife to be able to be in this place. And that when a campaign comes around with her business being blessed and me and us being debt free, we're able to write out a pledge that in the first few years of our marriage <laughs> there ain't no way it would have happened but God has made a way for us to be able to live this life and try to step into that realm like many of you have stepped in in that pledge when you said I haven't really tasted extravagant giving I've tithed I've given offerings this here is a whole different realm and a lot of you are tasting what it feels like. But if you thought it was all about money, you missed it. Giving is important because it does supernatural work in our heart. And that's exactly what God is after. He's after 
your heart. Because Matthew says in 621, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So what do you treasure today more than anything else? Your heart is always directly connected with your treasure. God's not after your money. He just goes through our treasure so he can get to our heart. So where's your heart? Where's your heart? Maybe God's going to speak to you this week about something you could do, maybe for another person. You take a message like this, and you say, that was interesting. Or you take a message like this, and you come to an altar, and you say, ah, you, your, your flesh might feel very uncomfortable right now. Because flesh does not want to deal with significant life changes. But God might be speaking right now, saying, start the journey. Because if you do, watch what I have planned for you. Start the journey. Watch the way I provide. Because just a few years from now, you're the one that's going to be the extravagant giver. Because that is what I'm calling for. Not the money. But where's your heart? Where's your treasure? And so as we wrap this series up, I think it'd be very fitting to find a place to pray. And to begin to say, God, where's my heart? God, are you speaking something to me? God, are you, are you calling for any significant life changes? God, are you trying to, are you trying to really shake some things up in my world? Because remember, we always say nothing should be off limits. Nothing should be off limits to him. I don't want this to be an area that's off limits. I want it to be wide open. God, speak to me. Make it clear, Lord. I'll do it. It might be hard, it might be difficult, it might take some time, but Lord, I'll do it. Here's my heart, Lord. My treasure's in you, Jesus. You're my provider, God.